Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday Best Bits podcast. I'm Tom Stanley, standing in for Nick Luck this week. And joining me this week, I'm talking to Ollie Murphy and Richard Dunwoody, plus a look back at a fantastic Cheltenham trials meeting. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. We'll meet our first guest shortly, but it should really be Nick Luck in the seat today because with the man to my left, well, a few years ago, he gave Nick, I think, one of his most challenging interviews to date. I was watching Jack Aranda uh, win with us here on our monitor here on Racing UK and possibly one of the most excited people on the race course. Oliver is uh, Annabelle King's son. Oliver, you must be delighted with that. Assistant trainer as well, I'm sure. Yeah, well, he ran really well at Beverly uh, last Monday and stayed and stayed and stayed and is genuine as the days come. Just tries and tries and tries. As you saw, he was fading away and fell on the run. Simon's pulled him out and he's absolutely flown. So everyone delighted. Mum's screaming at Chepstow. So. Oh, she's got Chepstow now? Yeah, yeah, we've got a two year old Warner Claus Philly there. So she's absolutely delighted. Yeah. So, you, you've been left to hold the fort? Yeah, yeah, and Dad's here with me and we've got two girls. So we are delighted. We need it as well. So. Fantastic. Now, that last time I was second at Epsom, I thought you might need, need a bit of cut in the ground. Um, no, he likes the firm ground. Um, he won twice as a two-year-old and was very, very, very genuine and always goes. And all really, really try for me, so... Brilliant. Well done, Mother. You must be, must be thrilled. Yep, yep. The yard needed that, so... Yep, that's three winners this year now. But a lot more hope, we hope, so... So, anyway, thanks very much. Yeah, plenty more to come. Cheers. That's uh, Oliver King. <laughs> Thank you very much. Did you? Was that it's nice watching that back? It's all of a sudden gone very hot in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Ollie Murphy, great to have you alongside. That was I, I enjoyed watching that. That did its rounds on Twitter a few months ago, I think. And um, I love the way that when Nick says, "I thought he might have needed a cut," no, 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 firm ground. No, no, what, what, what's a quick ground? Do you, do you remember that well? Yeah, I do actually. I, I, I think Simon Walker won the horse called Jacaranda that day. Um, obviously for my mum, but yeah. uh, Christ, we've all come a long way since then. And, uh, well, the hair's the hair's shortened a little bit. Um, Nick looks very different. Yeah, I think I've grown upwards and outwards. Yeah, um, since, but uh, yeah, we all grow up, don't we? It must be nice looking back at that seriously. And you know, when you were, as you say, with your, with your dad there that day, and you brought a couple of girls with you, as you said there, and um, and now here you are with your your name on a license. It's been eighteen months, and I mean, from that age, was that what you always wanted to achieve? Did you want to be a trainer from that day? I always wanted to ride, um, and unfortunately I got too big. Um, I rode plenty of winners as, a, as an amateur, say plenty of winners, I rode 30 winners, um, and I actually then decided that riding wasn't for me and, and ran Gordon, and, and um, yeah, the rest was history. Was that a hard transition to make from, as you say, you wanted to be a jockey? We're going to have Richard Dunwoody in later on, who, who makes no bones about the fact from, from the day he could walk and talk, he wanted to be a jockey, and, and you say you always wanted to be a jockey. When you had to step away before you could really pursue that career, perhaps because of, of your size, was that a hard a hard day to do that? I suppose this I was only riding as an amateur, so it wasn't it wasn't too hard. Um, I'm very lucky that mum was training and, and dad's um, obviously a well-known bloodstock agent, and I always had something I might be able to fall back on, whether that was training or, or going buying horses or or doing something different. So I, I wasn't it wasn't riding wasn't the be all and end all, but. Uh, 
yeah, it's um, amazing where things have gone. Well, you, you talk about your, your <coughs> mum and your dad, uh, Aidan and Annabelle, who, as you say, are well-known in the industry and have undoubtedly given you an excellent footing in the industry, but you, you haven't shied away from that. You, you may as well, as you say, embrace it and say you're, you're lucky to, to have that start, if you like, but that doesn't mean winners and it doesn't mean guaranteed success. You've, you've still got to prove you can do it, and you've done that in, in the last 18 months. Yeah, no, listen, I was given a leg up. Um, I've never shied away from that. I'm training from a, from, from a family-run uh, run place, and uh, listen, I don't um, begrudge the, the, the lads in Newmarket and Lambourne that are paying these massive rents to, to try and stay going, so I know how tough it is. Yeah. Um, but as you said, it doesn't mean you can train a racehorse. Um, I have a great team behind me. We, we've had a fantastic start, 18 months in, and... Um, yeah, no, it's gone great. Was it a conscious decision, Ollie, to when you started <laughs> to perhaps not start sending out the big guns that we're seeing now, the the you know the expensive horses, the well-bred horses who who may have have, have had more of a chance of becoming stars? But when you started to say, "I'm just going to prove I can train a winner," the four time you sent out relatively early on weren't exactly with horses who were going to go and develop into superstars. But was that a conscious decision to say, first things first, let's, let's prove I can get in the winner's enclosure before we, we start sending any big guns out. Oh, most definitely. Um, the one thing Gordon said when I, I told him I was coming home was, go home and try and train winners. Don't, be, don't try and be someone you're not. Um, I don't get a horse in my yard for my first six months of training that costs more than 10 grand. Um, I got little syndicates together. I owned half a horse myself. Um, everything was tight financially and it was just important we started off on the right foot and I was very lucky we did, um, and listen, the rest is the rest is history. Really, um, I, I've been very, very well supported since, um, and um, things have just gone great. And numbers have improved. <coughs> we, we came to see you actually. We, we came to do this racing life feature pretty much just just after the full timer, I think, and then we came back a year later. I thought I'd come to the wrong place. It's grown. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a few more boxes there now. Yeah, no, the the, the bank manager's not overly happy at the moment, but. Uh, <laughs> I suppose that's um, that's a good thing in in, in some senses, but uh, the grace the, the place has grown um, without all recognition, and um, yeah, we're getting bigger and bigger. And so I start out with, with with half a dozen horses, and we've we've about a hundred horses riding out now. So no, it's brilliant. Uh, you mentioned Gordon; he's obviously been a huge influence on on your career so far. You're still in close contact with him. Yeah, speak to him loads. Um, he's been brilliant to me. Um, I've set up many things at home, which which his setup had. Um, I didn't come home and, uh, and try and complicate things. I, I didn't come home and think I was better than Gordon or I could try and train up a hill, which Gordon didn't. I, I came back and put in very similar facilities and, and tried to get horses fit, run them in the right races and have the right lads on their back. And uh, he'd ring me the odd time and, and tell me what the hell was I doing that for or, or why was I going there with that horse. And I, I mean, after, uh, he, he, he might see where you've run a horse and think... I don't think that's right, and he'd let you know that. Oh, he would, um, but I like that. I, I like that he's half looking out for me, and so I'll leave here now and go back and watch the, watch the Irish racing show and all his runners as well. And he's been he's been brilliant to me, and and I had the most fantastic four years out there. We could talk about it for the next five hours, but uh, you know it was it was brilliant. Well, did it feel the right time to walk away? I mean, they threw you in the pool, didn't they? So it probably did feel like the right time to walk away. But did, I mean, did it? That, did you know that was the right time to say, "That's the, the the brilliant education I needed, but it's now time to to go off on my own." I just thought I'd been there four years, and I thought if I didn't leave when I left, I'd be there for the next forty-four years. And don't get me wrong, if if 
what I'm doing now goes belly up, I won't be afraid to, to, to give Gordon a ring and say I'm coming back. Um, it was a fantastic job, but I just thought the time was right to, to go and have a go on my own, and I think I did the right thing. Um, I, still, I still miss it immensely. Um, what, what do you mean? What, almost not having the pressure of it being your name on the licence, or...? I wouldn't be a, I wouldn't be a person now where, where pressure would really get to me. I'm quite a cool person, um, so probably not in that way, but uh, I just... I just miss the, the the way things are are, are run in Ireland and and being around certain people and it was just such a such a good place to me and um, some, from going into bre- for breakfast on a Monday Wednesday and Friday and, and Gordon's mother would be in the kitchen to to go and racing on a Sunday with twenty runners and and being involved with Grade One winners and I think that I think that's Don Cossack coming back in um, after the success at, of course at, at Cheltenham uh, Gordon coming back in with him there you had you had a lot of days together didn't you I think you're Actually, at your yard, one of the first things we see is the, the Triumph uh, winner, Tiger Roll, one of his few Cheltenham wins, of you leading him back in. You I mean, you had some unbelievable exe- success. Yeah. Um, there you are, in the background. <laughs> I was, um, yeah, I was very, very lucky. I obviously got to see Don Cossack win a Gold Cup, um, Tiger Roll win a Triumph Hurdle, um, so many brilliant days in Punchestown, Grade 1 winners in Ireland, and... I was associated in a small way with a, uh, a lot of good horses and probably didn't appreciate it until I've stepped away to look back at those horses that I was involved in. Um, saying earlier on, I don't really feel pressure, but even stood out on the track yesterday in Cheltenham, I said to, to Joe Tomty, my assistant, I said, Christ, what Gordon feels like now when Don Cossett was a 7-4 shot for a, yeah. for a gold cup. You don't realise until you step away from it a little bit, but that's... Um, it's a good feeling. It's when you get that feeling, it means you're you're involved with good horses and and, and you're competing in the best races. So it's um yeah great. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equuel Dubai. So chance to look back at what was a brilliant day's racing on Trials Day yesterday. We'll start with the Cotswold Chase, which was won by Frodon and by Bryony Frost. Uh, Paul Nichols said he wanted to try her, uh, try him even up in trip and, and, and give it a go and see whether he could put his Gold Cup credentials on the line. Now, uh, late on, he looked as though he was getting a little bit tired. We, we know that. But equally, Paul came out and said, well, look, I looked at him in the paddock and thought maybe I hadn't done enough with him and there'll be more to come off the back of that. You, ha- you go Gold Cup now, don't you, Richard Hoyles? Welcome to the show, Richard. Um, well, it depends what your, your heart is. I mean, at the end of the day, he's 25 to 1 for the Gold Cup. He's 10 to 1 for the Ryanair. And the old accountant in me suggests that I'd be heading for the Ryanair personally because I didn't see enough yesterday to suggest he'd stay the trip out strongly when taken on by Native River. There's a little bit of extra ground. The rails were out and what have you, but it was a good ride. She was able to boss, get the horse into a good rhythm, which I don't think will be as easy uh, come the festival. Um, but look, he's an admirable horse, and if they want to tilt at the Gold Cup, absolutely fine. There's only one Gold Cup, as they always say, but I think if you were playing weights and measures to the relative values, I would think he'd have a better chance than the Ryanair. But, as we say, it's, it's, it's owners as well. It's a, it's a competitive man at, at the helm as far as the training goes. It's uh, Bryony going to have, a, we would, well, looks like our first ride in a, in a Gold Cup. And if he's yours and he's just come out and won over a furlong shorter over that track, what, what would you do? Would you be inclined to lean towards the big one? I suppose you would. Um, the owners obviously don't have a have a lot of horses either, so I'd say to have a runner in a Gold Cup, even it being a twenty-five to one shot, is is something everyone wants to do. Um, Price looking at Bryony, credit where credit's due. She doesn't half getting horses jumping and travelling and 
again another masterclass from Paul Nichols. He's just he's remarkable, isn't he? How he brings his horses in year in year out. Yeah, masterclass from, from <coughs> Paul Nichols. It looks as though he's going to have a couple of darts to, to aim at the the uh, Gold Cup. And a masterclass from Bryony Frost as well. I'm pleased to say that Bryony joins me on the line now, us on the line now. Uh, Bryony, first of all, what was that like? You looked as though, as ever, you enjoyed it afterwards. Uh, morning, everyone. Oh, how can you not enjoy it? If you don't enjoy it, I think you've definitely got something wrong with you or you're in the wrong world, one or the other. Um, I think if you have to look up in the dictionary, Brave has come across Frodon for sure. He's just, he's an incredible partner to have. And I'm very lucky in in that to have to have him um it was oh, oh, how was that race we, we we jumped off it, actually the first part he was he was confused on how to get to the start because he normally just goes straight across the two four star so when he went up the hill he was kind of looking at me like well this isn't right and he got to the top like oh well we can't be done um and the most difficult part of our race was actually trying to get him through the chicanes without him running away with me. <laughs> so Is he but, I mean is he is he is he like that? Is he a, is he a, can he be a keen horse going down? Is that why I, he likes to bowl along in front? He's just the boy, you know, he just he he's just he likes to run a little bit low with his head and um Holly, um, who rides him every day at home, I don't know how she does it. She's she's brilliant on top of him and she makes sure he's hundred and ten percent every time he comes and uh but um, now nah, he just, you know, you've got to agree with him. There's no way you could ever put an opinion across Frodon like you. You've got to be his partner, um, not him be yours. So, but we've jumped off and we've, you know, we've got the first really well and he's actually settled quite nicely. He's he's come on down to that first down the back there and he's made it a bit short. And it was like he was a bit annoyed at himself because at the ditch he put me back in my box because I said, oh, we'll go short again then, shall we? And he... He came up out of my hands. I was actually laughing at him after that. I was like, all right, mate, you know best. Mm-hmm. I'll just follow you. <laughs> but um, it was brilliant. You know, um, we got the the circuit to go at the top of the hill. We got that fence really well. So we were able to have a really good there, just, just hooking back and, and let the field come back to us a little bit. Free wheel down the, down the hill. And he's brilliant at the hill. You know, you can trust him. He's, if he gets in on bad boards, he's, he's so clever. And um, and then he has scope and abundance. Um but the last two, I needed him. We needed to get them right. And uh, when you ask him, he always answers you. And um, he was just—he's brilliant. And if anything, he was, we were just getting lonely up the hill because. Well, I, I was going to ask: was it was he was he getting lonely? Was he getting tired? What sort of feel did you have up that hill? Uh, he was getting lonely. <laughs> um, his ears were starting to look back. No, I'm so on. <laughs> you know, I'm starting to hear the roar, and I knew that elegant escape. If he was still with us, he'd be coming. Um, because that's what does very strongly because of his that's that's who he is he's a proper four miler um so our kick off the bend um definitely got us a couple of lengths and then you know if anything you know i've watched the replay god knows how many times now but he's come elegant skate did come to us very fast but he didn't actually ever get past our flanks you know mm. and, and i'm sure so on easy he's a very gap and he knows what he's, the game is now so he um he moves it forward uh, Paul seemed to indicate afterwards that, that it, Gold Cup was the, the likely intention off the back of, of winning there. I, I suppose that makes sense. I think he enjoyed it every bit as much as you as well. And he looks as though he's got two horses to, to aim at the Gold Cup. I mean, how excited would, would you be lining up in a Gold Cup field, Bryony? <laughs> well, it's the, one of the greatest races in the world. And to line up with a horse like him um, and his owners, Mr and Mrs Volt, are just fantastic people. They're beyond loyal to me. Um, and, you know, Paul... To ride for is just brilliant, you know, and, and look what he's been doing with the horse this year. The, the big races he's been coming out, 
and he's keeping him fresh. He had a little break before this run and he's still fit enough to be able to perform like that for me and his health being perfect. Do you think there's more to come, fitness-wise, though? Did you feel good? Paul said there, maybe. Do you feel there's a little bit more to come as well with regard to March? Yeah, well, you know, he's just come off a little back of a break, what a lot of sports horses have this time of year. That's just our routine of life in the yard. Um, so you should you should hope that, um, you know, that that race he can he can pull out a little bit more for me, and I believe that he can. You've got to ride them. You have to ride your partner how you, you believe he can do his best. Uh, Bryony, thanks for joining us as ever, and well done yesterday. It was again great to see. Thanks very much. Yeah, it was awesome day. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Bryony. Thanks, Bryony. Bye, bye. I love the the personality that Bryony puts into the horses. It always comes across, doesn't it? It's never just about her or the yard or the or the the trainer. It's also about the individual she's riding and what they've done and how they've been part of it. The one comment she makes that I think is is the belief. I have no idea whether you transfer that to your horse, but obviously the relationship's very strong. As regards to distance, I mean, it was 150 yards extra yesterday because the rail was out. I just think the tempo of the race, you say she jumped well and I was able to take back. I was waiting for them to come to me. Not sure you're going to quite get that in a Gold Cup, but her riding in the Gold Cup will add, you know, a, a really good dimension to the race because she is so personal, so media friendly, and that will help in the, in the build-up. And, and the horse who won some big handicaps last year, but perhaps at Ascot and, and again in the Ryanair when he ran, just came up short. A different campaign this year, or Paul said after he won last time, um, that handicap and carried top weight in it, it was going to be all aiming towards Cheltenham for him to peak there, Ollie. And, you know, can these top handicappers, and he's done it there, can, can they then prove themselves going up in class? I mean, Gordon would be the master of doing it, wouldn't he? Yeah, listen, so it, it is a big step up. Um, but going back to this horse now, Paul Nichols trains him and... and, and he knows better than anyone how to train a, a Gold Cup winner, and mm. I'm sure he won't be running in the Gold Cup unless he thinks he's an each-way chance, so I wouldn't be doubting anything he's doing. Can we just mention one other horse um, outside Frodon? Alison Monturg ran really well, mm. 141, uh, very similar to the mark that Kustar Civila won the <coughs> Ultima off last year, and just hidden back in the field. I think everyone's chatting about Frodon, elegant escape and what have you, but was still right there, Alison Monturg, when a couple of others had come off the bridle. That was by far a better run, and just thought that was a a sort of hidden good run for a festival handicap that was easy to, to miss. Mm. And uh, Elegant Escape, of course, put his gold cup credentials on the line and, and proved himself worthy of a, a tilt of that after the way he stayed on as well. Um, we also saw Paisley Park winning the Cleave, not just winning the Cleave, absolutely trouncing the rest of them in the Cleave. It, it looked as though, well, most of them that, that were lining up on this occasion were going to line up in a, a stairs hurdle itself. It had depth to it and... Ollie, it was fairly taken apart by this horse. Another horse has progressed through the, the handicap ranks. He won his grade one last time. A, a first for Aidan Coleman, who's ridden a lot for you, I know, and a first for Emma Lavelle as well. And again, he proved himself. He's just tanking through it. Aidan said he got to the front too soon. Yeah, um, actually, just when he turned in there, Aidan dragged him back in. Um, he obviously thought he was going to win turning in. Um, I think this horse hasn't got the credit he deserved. Um, I thought he was very good when he won a handicap in entry at the start of the year and all he's done is keep progressing and it's going to take a good one to beat him. He, um, he destroyed them yesterday and um, he's arguably a horse who's going to keep improving again. A few people looked at Asker and saw um, Sam Spinner unseating at the second, saw you know what I mean, Harry coming down as well and saw the price of that West approach. He's backed out there at 40 to 1 I think and, and possibly looked at the race, probably was favoured on this occasion and said, well I, you know, I, he's, he's got to still go and prove, I know it was a great one but he's got to prove it questions answered. Yeah, absolutely, because I think if he took out, going into the race, I think Penhill, Faheen, maybe Apples Jade, although other targets, with the three at the head of the stairs market, Super Sunday as well, who may go elsewhere, but every other single horse from the UK behind the Irish was in that field. 
They were in a real good gallop. Sam Spinner helped force it with Little Rockefeller. He's so strong at the finish, Paisley mm. Park. He picked up really well that day at Haydock, and yeah, he's coped with every single rising class. And full marks to Emma Lavelle, because Ollie will know the temptation after a grade one win is to sit on your laurels. We don't see many horses run as many times in the season on the build-up to Cheltenham as him. But she came out and said, look, the horse is well, why wouldn't I run? And in doing so, he's considerably enhanced his reputation. It was a, a proper performance, that, and it's hard to see any that were behind him beating him. The Irish might be a different kettle of fish. Uh, Emma Lavelle joins us on the line. Many congratulations. Another brilliant day, and, and that all down to this performance by this quite exceptional stare. Emma, well done. Thank you very much. No, it was a really exciting day, and, and you know, she obviously is a really exciting horse. Did he, Emma, surprise you the way he did it? Uh, yesterday because he was so dominant did you watch him tanking through the the race turning in and thinking thinking he could possibly win by the amount he did um it, it's funny i thought watching it um he probably traveled a little bit better yesterday than than he had at at, uh, at ascot um and then just he he kind of just he's got obviously a lot of class and he travels away um and and then aiden starts to ask him and and just for a split second you have that feeling of, oh, is he now going to find anything? Um, but, but you know, actually, he's just got a great temperament that means he does no more than he needs to. Um, and then once you ask him, he starts to he starts to pick up. And then once he's racing, he's away. And so, so there was a split second where I was thinking, oh, oh, I hope he's all right. And then, and then once he started to go, I was like, oh, the distance he, funny enough, the distance he put between. Um, him uh, and, and West Approach just even coming into the last hurdle. Uh, it was done very quickly, and then, and then he, he wasn't doing a tap up the, up the hill and swim by, by the 12 lengths. It was, it was extraordinary. It was uh, beyond what we could have imagined anyway. And Aidan said afterwards, you know, I, he got, I think he said he got me out of trouble because I got there too soon. I mean, there wasn't much he could have done the way he was going through it, was there? No, absolutely. I was saying to him afterwards, that's definitely the first hurdle he's ever jumped in his life in front. Um, <laughs> Because he uh, he'd never school in front at home. Um, he'd always be a little bit of a you know those ears do a lot of pricking, mm. and uh, and so uh, I was like, oh my god, please just just go and jump it. And he did that. And if something had come to him, he, he would have been absolutely fine. So uh, it's all right. It's all right to get there at two or soon, so long as you're still there at the end. So long as you you bolt up in the manner that he did, absolutely. And I mean, his owner Andy Gemmell, I know, was saying to you before Ascot. 82 days until the Cheltenham Festival, 82 days until the Cheltenham Festival. Was he, was he repeatedly saying 47 before yesterday? <laughs> well, funnily enough, actually, he hadn't. And, uh, and, then, and then immediately afterwards, once I then saw him, it was, uh, he was telling me exactly how many days. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, at this stage, we'd, uh, we'd worked that one out as, ourselves as well. But it was, um, look, it, it's been a great journey for all of us, and, and hopefully it can keep going. I mean, did you, did, did you all sit down at home before the start of the season and think you had a, a, a stairs hurdle horse and, and plot back from there, or did you sort of tiptoe into the season seeing what could be achieved? Um, look, we thought we had a very well-handicapped horse, which mm. at least was accurate off the mark of 140 at the start of the season. It was. Um, but uh, he, you know, it been, it's been well-documented. He was, he was very sick after his bumper um, season, and, and I think last year was... Um, we knew he was nice because he'd shown it in his bumper... Last year was very much a recovery mission for the horse, you know, just to to get that strength back into him. And so, actually, to his credit, he ran some some super races when he was half the horse he is now. Um, and um, and I feel 
Barry Fenton, my husband, he rides them all the time at home. Mm-hmm. He was instrumental, actually, even at the store sales in us, in us buying him. And um, he's been very, you know, very key to the horse's development. And uh, so I'm, I'm delighted for him that, that, that we can sit there and sort of go through it all together. Um, but, you know, did we think he had a stayer's chance? He's got better and better as the seasons progressed, and 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 so sort of the dream is still alive. Mm, absolutely, as well, and to you, Andy, Aidan, and Barry as well, and um, a very best of luck with regards to March. Emma, thanks for joining us this morning. Not at all. Thank you very much. It's it was a performance. I mean, I think it was certainly one of the most comprehensive on the day, perhaps other than the. Um, Triumph trial winner, which we'll, we'll come to, Fakir Dudari. Uh, but also just taking the day as a whole, Ollie, th- these are performances which we quite often become ac- accustomed to seeing on, on heavy ground or really testing ground. For all trials days has, has produced subsequent festival winners. What we have on this occasion is ground which we hope, fingers crossed, and we don't suddenly get what we did last year, similar sort of grounds to, to that which they're going to be taking in at the festival. Yeah, um, it was very unusual, the ground there yesterday for, for the middle of January, but... Um... Listen, I thought he was very, very impressive, and I think it'll take a very good one to beat him in Cheltenham. Yeah, he was mighty impressive the way he extended away. Uh, thanks, Emma, for joining us. Good luck to, to that team at March. Uh, let's let's have a proper look back at the the Ballymore trial, the classic novices trial. Um, Richard Hoyles, what would have happened? What's what your forecast of coming down to the last, brewing up a storm, Birchdale tracking them in behind, the slightly more experienced. Ollie Murphy train brewing up a storm in front from Nicky Henderson train Birchdale. It clearly, or it's obvious at this stage, it's going to be a two-horse race. They approached the last and had brewing up a storm stood up. In your opinion, what might have happened? I sort of, in my mind, probably had it 65-35 in favour of brewing up a storm because he bagged the rail, which is always an advantage, particularly with the inexperience of the other horse on the outside. And he hadn't really been gone for. And as you know, you know, Richard Johnson's normally quite an animated rider at the best of times. Barry's sitting there and it's clearly in the balance. I looked up the in-running price, four's on. So maybe was he before yeah, he was there? Well, that was the shortest price yeah. he traded at, so let's assume that was just before he came down. And I don't think you can draw any what happens to Birchdale after that. You know, a few said, oh, would he, you know, he, he wandered around. I think he'd have raced more easily had he had company. Um, the best news is obviously bringing up a storm got up really quickly. It must have been a great relief for Ollie. He didn't run loose for any length of time. Richard got up as well. Mm. It's one of those great unknowns, isn't it, really? It's a real shame. Uh, but thankfully the horse is OK. But, yeah, on balance, I w- if you'd t- frozen it and said back one of them, I definitely would have been with brewing up a storm, but I wouldn't have said that it was a conclusive decision. Where were you watching it? Down the last. Oh, um, you were? Yeah, I watch all, all my runners out on the track. Um, something I've always done since I started training, so, yeah, mm. I saw it. I saw it firsthand. Uh, not, I'm not very nice, I imagine, but the horse got straight back up. You say he, he seems A-OK. Um, just, just with regard to how he went through his race and before that moment, you must have been happy with what you saw and it was always the plan to go forward, was it, off the back of what, he, what he'd done last time? It was, reluctantly though. I'd have loved to have taken a lead. I'd have, um, and Richard would as well. I'd have loved to have been Barry. I'd have loved to have been following mm. Birchdale, not vice versa. Um, what would have happened, no one knows, but I think the horse can come away with plenty of credit because he's had to do the donkey work for two and a half miles. Yes, he has got a little bit more experience. He's had one more run than Birchdale. Big deal, in my opinion. Um, I'd have just loved to have got a lead, and, and, and there was no pace in the race. We decided in the paddock that we'd, we'd ride him forward, and just think come March now, we'll, we'll ride him with a lead and, and a bit of nicer ground, a truly run race. What, um, what have you learnt from Chalo to here and now off the back of yesterday about this horse? He definitely wants two and a half. Um, a few people have been telling me, oh, he won well in hunting over two, and, and why am I going up in trip? But 
I think from the back of the last, the line in Newbury, he did his best work, and I don't see why he wouldn't have done his best work yesterday from the back of the last, the line. Um, he is a year older than, than, than Birchdale. Um, that's one thing I'd have had on his side from the back of the last, of the mm. line yesterday, but yeah, who knows? Um, that's horse racing. My horse fell at the last. We're, we're training jumpers, and if you don't jump, you don't win, Tom, and that's, that's that, and my lad ended up on the floor, and, and they paid a consequence. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Now, earlier this week, we saw the Longines World's Best Racehorse announced, or horses, perhaps. Let's have a look at the uh, rankings before we bring in uh, James Willoughby to talk about this. Equal first, Cracksman and Winks on 130. Then Gunrunner, 128. Going down to Poet's Word, Roaring Lion, fourth, equal 127. I'm getting to enable shortly. There she is, ninth, one, two, five, and some other famous names in there as well. James Willoughby, how are you? Lovely to talk to you this Sunday morning. What do you make of what we see in front of us on the screen? Well, in terms of the rankings, the classifications of racehorse merit, that's changed very little over the years. The one thing, I suppose, is that racing's more cosmopolitan than it ever was, and we've had to get used to, as British and Irish people, we've had to get used to the fact that, yes, World-class racing does uh, take part in other jurisdictions than ours, and sometimes world champions come from elsewhere. But I think the main debate, Tom, and interesting to get your take on this, really, is the reaction to the rankings as an entity. It seems to me that this is what has changed hugely in my time in racing. At one point, the unveiling of the international classifications, as was, um, was accompanied by a good deal of reverence and interest and uh, a crowd of reporters would gather in London and spend hours asking of the handicappers a series of sensitive, well-placed and intelligent questions. Now, the whole thing seems to come down to whether the prior subjective belief of the crowd tallies with the horse at the top of the figures. Now, to some extent, that's the problem of the name on the tin the world's best racehorse rankings rather than its former name as a classification. And writing in this in the um, Thoroughbred Racing Commentary this week, I think Chris Smith, the editor of, of that website, makes a very good point when he suggests that we have two awards, one for the world's best performance and the other for the world, world horse of the year based on a more rounded um, assessment of the season. Well, if, if we take it enable where she is at the moment, they're down in ninth on, on 125. If, if off the top of my head somebody had said, who was, who was your world's best racehorse, Tom, this year, I, I probably would have gone for her. But perhaps that is because I'm taking into account my emotional response to enable season, the fact that she uh, went and did what she did in a few different countries, a season that, that didn't start until late on, and, and therefore what she achieved is perhaps inflated in my mind by how she had to be campaigned and, and, and where she was campaigned. But that isn't necessarily what these awards are, are trying to do, are they? Right, that's very eloquently put. And you're able to do that because, if I may say, you're, you're a highly intelligent chap. But the reaction amongst other people who perhaps haven't as invested as much time as you have in thinking about the difference between those two things is that they're conflating the two ideals. They're thinking that the handicappers who have made these figures using, I might say, principled calculations, which in my role as handicapping data analyst on a day-to-day -day basis, I subject to some very high-level maths. If there was something wrong with handicapping, I'd take great delight 
in pointing that there was something systematically wrong with it. There isn't. The problem is, is that in the case of Enable, say, a figure of 125 reflects what she achieved using computational methods. Her two biggest performances were achieved by narrow margins, receiving, in the case of the ARC, a weight allowance because she was female. Uh, the, arc, the arc that you mentioned there was, was judged to be the world's best race last year. Sorry, carry on. Yes, based on the average of the uh, first, I don't know how many did it, five or six competitors. It was based on the average of that. So I suppose that she benefited from the ones in behind. But you're quite right. You're quite right in pointing that out because the two things, again, seem to be in conflict with each other. But what my, what I'm, my point is here is that I don't see why it's impossible for anybody to look at Enable and say, right, well, I understand that in terms of her achievements, she achieved a lot in terms of the names of the racers and the horses are behind her, but I do understand also the mechanism of handicapping. I understand that a horse's rating is not independent. If you give Enable a rating of 130, you have to rate the horses close behind her. You have to give Magical a big rating of 129. You have to give all the art courses right down to the 6th and 7th ratings that would make them the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 and 7th best horses in the world. That's the problem. And that when somebody is applying subjective ideals uh, to these uh, classifications, they don't take that into account. And I think that, that as I say, is partly the problem of the name uh, Longines have gone with that name for commercial reasons, and you know, I understand and I'm sympathetic to those. But I do think it is misleading for for a lot of people. And ju- just on on the top two, the the draw at the top, if you like, 130 yep. with with Kratzman and Weeks. Are you satisfied by that? And how difficult were the, the team of international handicappers had a, a job of weighing up those two uh, different hemisphere performers? Yeah, I'm, I'm very respectful of calculations. I think ratings in a mathematical term are basically somewhere in the midpoint of the consent, there are kind of consensus of technical methods. So, for example, you could make an argument that Crackman should be rated lower. You could make an argument that Wink should be rated lower. You could make an argument that Accelerate should be rated lower or Beauty Generation should be rated <laughs> lower. But in the end, you can disappear um, into, you know, into a conflict between all these things. It really, you know, uh, uh, the figures are quite easy to understand where they came from. It's very easy and it's very transparent for anybody to look at the results with a list of these ratings in hand and understand exactly how they've been derived. Now, if we start applying advanced methods to these numbers, so we start using, say, for example, sectional times and the like, they will lose that transparency. We may then be able to place at the top of the rankings sources that would have more subjective appeal, like we could take into account fully the way that Winks has been running her races, and maybe she's worthy of a rating of 134 or 135 if you took sectional times into account. But we don't do that because we can't apply that same method equally to all horses. At the moment, because world racing, not every race run in the world at the top level has sectional times, we can't start giving Winks massive credit like the Australians keep insisting for running the last quarter mile in under 22 seconds when we're not doing the same thing for Enable or we're not doing the same thing for Almondai mm. in Japan it just, it just, we have to define a strict set of criteria the way we calculate the ratings and then produce the numbers consistent to that and I defy anybody who is not just 
to, was going to put some effort into actually calculating the numbers for themselves. I defy them to come up with vastly different numbers. Yes, they can have Australian form lower, or they could take a conservative view of Cracksman's champion stakes, but ultimately they'd also be able to understand why the panel of international handicappers did what they did. Transparency is highly important in rating horses, and these rankings have transparency. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai. Patrick Mullins is on the line to talk all things Team Mullins and also reflect on the Faistes, which was won by invitation only. Patrick, you'll be pleased to know I have a list of 400 horses I'm about to ask you about with regard to the Dublin Racing Festival. Uh, but should we talk about invitation only first of all? I mean, this, is, this must have been great for, for you to see. Is, I mean, he's a horse that, that is now a, a live shot to go forward for a, a Cheltenham Gold Cup, is he? He, he has to be. You know, we've been very lucky um, in the testes. We've had horses like Jackadam on his own with Mikko's Dream on a grade one over two miles after winning it. So it's a race we like to send our good horses for. Uh, he was a little disappointing last season. You know, he ran very well at Christmas behind um, Mona Lee and Album Photo, but he didn't really fulfil his potential. And even his first run of the season, he seemed to need it a lot. But I thought Ruby gave him an absolute masterclass to ride. I mean, in that full runner handicap field. He just got Posier fourth fifth down the rail and got him into a great rhythm, got him settled. Uh, I thought it was Ruby at his best now. And Patrick, I know that your dad was asked this after the Thaisi's win, but there, there, was, there was talk in the last couple of weeks, um, particularly I suppose after the, the Moscow fly with your two runners in that who ran perhaps a, a touch disappointingly about where the yard was health-wise. But I mean, do you feel you sort of answer those questions now and you're in a good place with the recent winners you sent out? Um, yeah, look, a couple of the horses ran ran below par. I mean, there's no um, no doubting that. Um, you know, it, it has been funny weather. It's been quite mild. Um, and when you have 200 horses, of course, some of them are going to get a little sick. Um, but we were having winners all the time. And it does appear that now that they've, you know, they seem to be running, all of them seem to be running to their best. Um, but... Uh, we're much happier now than we were two or three weeks ago, yes, definitely. Mm. And Silius Emery was, was great as well. I know he'd been off for, for a long time, so it must have been very satisfying to see to see him put in that kind of performance. It was. You know, um, he obviously he beat Mellon when he won the Grade 1 or David Mullins in Punchestown. Um, it was a big field, um, you know, which, so that was great to get that experience. They went a real good gallop. Um, he settled well. He wears the hold. He jumped fantastic. Um, you know, the trouble is, obviously, he's starting the season quite late, so there is a, a slight lack of experience. Um, that is a concern, but he's a horse with a huge engine. And, um, you know, it's great for Luke McMahon, who's one of our biggest owners. Uh, so hopefully he can continue to improve and uh, win more races. And Blue Sari was a, was a great winner for you as well. I mean, fairly bolted in. I, interesting, he's a four-year-old, isn't he? And I know that, that that's not perhaps often the route that you go down with regard to a, a Cheltenham bumper. But, I mean, might you just be tempted to, to send him that way this year, potentially based upon the performance? It it's definitely, definitely has to come into consideration. Um, you know, at, at home he doesn't show an awful lot. Steph Sorley rides him out. Um, you know, says he's very relaxed and very laid back. I never sat on him at home because we like to keep lighter people on the, those younger horses. Um, but everyone said he only did the bare minimum. But that was his first time on grass. And he was a different horse. You know, uh, he travelled very easy all the way. He was a great, a perfect ride. He was settled, very professional. When I gave him a squeeze, I couldn't believe how he picked up. Mm. Um, you know, Derek was gobsmacked. Derek said he was turning in on Joseph's horse. He said he thought he was going to win easy. And just in two strides, my fella left him for dead. So... 
four rows do win the um, champion bumper cue card, they didn't, I think, yeah. they do far, going back a bit further, they get eight pounds, unfortunately it's ten eleven, so I won't be doing the weight on them, I, I'll be confirmed for to go to Limerick. Uh, <laughs> it does look an open year, so he has to come under consideration for it, definitely. Another horse who you've had great success with this year, Sharjah is a, a horse who's, um, well, really living up to his, his full potential, I think. Now, how impressed have you been with, with that horse? Actually, hugely impressive. I mean, his performance in the Ryanair was... Um, extraordinary you know the plan was just to tip around at the back let the three fancied ones uh, have a back on each other and come come with a late run um, and he's just done it so easily um, you know he got a bad fall at Christmas there last year it just seemed to take him six months to get his confidence back uh, when he won the Galway hurdle that was a good performance but with hindsight he was £20 well in so it's just as well I didn't get him beat <laughs> um, so I do think he's probably better on dry ground um, so the concern would be you know often they would water Sheltham which is fair enough um, but that would be a, a small concern for the champion herder. and just on that Patrick it's interesting because we, we've talked about horses that we haven't seen because of conditions but there are horses in yards who, who want decent ground and, and, and in some ways is he a horse that's benefited from that a relatively early start to this season and, and, and a chance for him to, to get out and, and gain more experience this year has he, has he benefited from conditions that we've had oh definitely definitely yes um you know, he like I said, he's better on that dry ground, and uh, that has been a huge benefit to him. Uh, where does he fit in Irish champion-wise? You, you know, obviously, Lorena, Mellon, Forheen, Charger. I mean, ha, what sort what, of those arrows, which do you think are we, are we most likely to see Dublin Racing Festival-wise? Um, look, it's, it's hard to say. You know, as everyone knows, Willie doesn't make decisions until he has to make decisions. Um, and that goes for everything in his life. Um <laughs> Uh, Mellon is probably the most likely, I imagine. I thought when I saw him in the freight ring at Christmas, he looked like he was going to come on for the run. Um, I think he'll strip a lot fitter. Um, Willie did say Sarge could go straight for the champion hurdle because he's done a lot of running. Um, but, you know, he's he's in full work, so he could go there. Uh, Lorena, I suppose the ground is going to be... we have to just monitor the ground. She's a she's a huge, heavy mare and mm. Leprechaun is quite a dry track, so that'll be the concern there. Um, Faheen is getting over his fall at Christmas. He was very lucky. He was hugely lucky. Um, you know, he was very stiff and sore after it, but he's back in full work now. Were you were you pleased uh, with, what, with the way he was going up until then? And could he have served it up to the winner? Yeah, well, look, it, it's, it's three furlings out. It's the second last hurdle. Ruby said he had plenty of horse under him. The mayor is very good. Um, it would have been a race. I can't say he'd have won or not, but Ruby was very happy. And it does look like he wants three miles now. So whether. Whether we go back to two miles, I'm not so sure. Um, just one more sort of division to ask you about, if I can. Obviously, we can't go through all of them, but the 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 underso, the the min, the footpad division. I mean, you've got you've got three horses there over over two to two and a half who who could face each other, might not. I mean, you personally, how, how do you assess the chances of those three over respective two and two and a half mile trips? Yeah, I mean, they're three very good horses. Um, I mean, obviously, Min looks to, you know, he, he's been beaten fair and square by Altior twice. Um, so you have to consider the Ryanair, but he is a very keen horse. Um, so that'll be a concern, setting up to two mile five on the on the new track. Um, but he was very impressive when he won in uh, the John Durkin. But, you know, I'm not sure how strong a race that was, maybe. Um, pad it's been a, been a disappointing season. Um you know, jumping the last in that Christmas, you thought he's back, and then simply Neg comes and nabs him. Um, it's possibly probably just blew up because you know he, he did miss a bit of, little bit of time after he got the overreach in Nace, um, and simply Ned did beat 
men in that race last year. Mm. So uh, I wouldn't give up and put back just yet, but I, I was a little disappointed with his performance at Christmas, but I, I think he could have uh, extenuating circumstances. And obviously under Solskjaer is himself. Um, we thought maybe he was getting a little slow for two miles for his performance. In Punta last year, you wouldn't say that. So um, it was a pity we didn't get to go to Ascot with him. Especially the way Altior jumped, you know, it might have been might have been the day to take him on, as it turned out. But mm. uh, uh, I don't know which is going to, is going to turn up in, in Dublin, but they're all in good form, they're all healthy. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai. Uh, Richard Dunwoody alongside me, the first thing he said when we started that was, oh God, it's like I've died. Yeah, it's <laughs> which, like an obituary, yeah. Which so, quite a, a start. I'm still here. Uh, you are. Yeah, Welcome. Yeah. Um, thank Thanks you very for, much. Thanks for having me. What, what are the sort of, you know, when you do look back at some of those, those great moments, champion hurdle wins, gold cut wins, um, two uh, wins, at, wins at Aintree on, on the, the biggest stage of all for some, what, what are the overwhelming emotions when you look back at them? Yeah, um, fantastic, you know, the national national wins, um, Mini Homer in, in particular, just that he was so unexpected on the, on the ground. Uh, didn't think he'd really get round. Uh, I'd only ridden him once before at Newbury. Um, and then we look at the charter party race and think, God, you know, talk about excessive. I should have been pulled off in that day. But uh, there we are. It's no, great memories. And, yeah, I was very lucky to be part of those, you know, the team that around those horses. You talk about that in, in, in your book, actually, obsessed about the, the charter party. Now, when you, when you look back at it, you won a Gold Cup at the age of 24, I think it was. Yeah. I mean, incredible. Um, but you do say, you, you don't, if you watch it back now, I mean, even then you're thinking, oh, I don't, I don't love watching it, that I'm back. flinching a little bit, never mind. Uh, but that's how it was a, a bit in those days. Um, you know, Scoo was probably even harder than I was on, on some, some horses. And um, that's, how, yeah, that's how we rode. And thankfully, I think the, the rules, the stick rules have, have adapted, changed over the years and all for the better. Um, I don't know how much you've, to be honest, how much you've stayed in touch with, with horse racing as is. You know the, the, the rules on the whip have changed, but, but, but just before we come on to that perhaps, I mean, where, where are you Richard Dunwoody, the, the retired jockey now, and we, we'll talk about what you've been doing subsequently, but where are you racing-wise at the moment? In- Race, racing well, well, we've actually moved to Spain, um, so we're living in Madrid, um, and we've been out there since, since July. Looking, we've got a few more decisions to make, but we're, look, we're looking to uh, get residency out there. And uh, we've got Millie is in school. She's three, so she's in a bilingual school there. Speaks far better Spanish than, than I do. So she's learning Chinese as well. So, and she seems to love it, and she's very settled there. So we'll, we'll see how things we've, uh, sort of go over the next month or so. Does that mean that you're a very different individual now? I suppose the arrival of Millie, in particular, I suppose that people say that I that think changes, that changes you, but, too. But, but are you? A, yeah. a, a, and you, you have been setting yourself some serious tasks over the last twenty years or so since, since you retired. But are you a very different individual now? Would you say? Yeah, you you change obviously for those days when all you focus on in say ninety three, ninety four, and the ninety four, ninety five season when I was writing for Martin Pipe, it was like. Tw- 24 hours a day, just non-stop racing from the moment you woke, woke up in the morning and until the time you went to bed and then you were sort of half dreaming about it all night as, as, as well. So um, absolutely obsession uh, with racing and riding, riding the next winner and 
that's that's how it was. And that said, it, it wasn't as if you followed a path which plenty of, of champion jockeys followed. Peter Scudamore before you, the champion jockey before you, stayed in racing. Tony McCoy, the champion jockey after you, he, he has stayed in racing as well. You seem to, to, to quite soon after, before you tried a bit of punditry, say, yeah. I will quite likely distance myself from the, the sport which has, has given me so much. Yeah, that's, that's the way it was. Um, my father trained and haven't been around trainers for 20-odd years. I didn't want to train. Um, I didn't particularly want to be an agent. I went back, did a little bit for the BBC for about four or five years uh, before they lost it, um, the coverage. The, the, did you enjoy doing that? Yes, I did. It was a challenge as well. I was living abroad some, sometimes. I was in France doing a course there and then coming back. And so having to, to know everything about you know all that had gone on in Cheltenham and then we were covering it uh, at Aintree. But it was a challenge. It was good to do. Um, but that's, that experience is gone, and you just you move on, go with the flow, really. And what was the first thing that led you to say, "I need, I need something to really get the adrenaline pumping"? Because North Pole, South Pole, forty days around Newmarket, Japan, what, yeah, North Korea marathons. What, yeah, what is it that, that led you? Did you did you just still feel that 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 need I for adrenaline? I think I've been very lucky, and thanks to racing and the people I've I've met through through racing as as well that these things have sort of cropped up i never particularly planned eventually i did plan to go to the south pole it took three four years to get it all together but i, I was very lucky i was introduced to reintroduced to david hempel and adams uh, see some of the shots here um, but it was david that got me to go on the, the north magnetic north pole race and then um, the 48-day slog to, the, to this. Oh, I could have ridden on the flash after, <laughs> after that one. So uh, I came back. It was about, so easy to I lose weight. I came back. It's a great place to lose weight. Anyway, we were, we were eating probably five, six, five to 7,000 calories a day and still um, probably covering about 15 miles, dragging the sleds um, from the recovery glacier. Um, we're the only people to walk in that route. So it was, yeah, it was fantastic. Doug Stipe, who... Who led? There was only two of us got there in the end, but uh, this was this was the Ernest Shackleton route. That was the Ernest Shackleton route to the to the pole to the South Pole. Um, so an amazing experience getting to the pole, um, getting in, shown into the base. Told we were allowed one one cup of coffee and two biscuits, and then you have to get back in your tent where we had to wait for three days for plane to pick us back up. But uh, yeah, it was, it was tough. The you know toughest thing I've I've done. So probably about forty pound I'd lost before that mm. that picture was taken. Was that the hardest of all the challenges you've set yourself since By retiring? Far. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And was it um, harder than anything you did as a jockey? In some respect, you know, obviously it was the, as a as a jockey, top jockey, the the schedule is punishment punishing as as it is. Whether it's the saunas, the driving, keeping the weight down, you know, it was it was it was a hard slog, but. Uh, those 48 days were purgatory. <laughs> they were hard. Yeah. And there's also uh, Afghanistan you, you've been to as well. Um, and the game, now the game that you played out there has escaped my mind, but I'm sure you'll remember. Bush Kashi, uh, it's their national sport. Um, apparently, they, the, the old Afghans have, have played it with the bodies of Russian soldiers and stuff, but uh, it's, they're a tough, tough race, as you can imagine. But uh, I did get um, invited to, to play a game up the, the Wakan cor Corridor. And yeah, it was amazing to be. And they, as, as graphic as this sounds, it, the, the way out there, as you say, it's their, their national sport and it's brutal sport for, 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 for humans and to an extent animals as well. And they, they play with a headless goat, I believe. Is yeah, that right? they're, they're a carcass. And um, 
Yep, it's uh, they they get stuck in. Um, the, apparently, there's the championships, the Asian championships or the Nomad championships, where they they all sort of congregate in Kyrgyzstan, I think. And uh, I know people have represented America for that, and they said they, they were in bits at the end of it. So, did you find it difficult but, uh, when you did? It was, it was good. The one thing you have to do is get a t- get a horse or a mount that's not too tall, <laughs> because I've been on one where it's it was it was quite leggy and uh, reaching down to get the the carcass, and they say they literally you're breaking bones in your hands and 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 arms and all sorts of injuries mm. uh, going on. But don't get anything that's that's too tall or too leggy. Do you think when you went out and say met those individuals, do they do they have any idea that they were they were talking to you, a man that's broken countless bones and, and been no, involved they, in similar sorts you're of things? Absolutely not. And if you can't ride well, then they, yeah, that's it. No, you, that's it. They they don't want don't want to know you. Um, but amazing places. You know, I've been very lucky to have to have visited a, a lot of countries since I've retired. But I have to say, that country, Afghanistan in particular, is one of the most beautiful. One of the most remote places I've been up the Wakhan Corridor, but one of the, the, the best places I've been as well. And before this goes into a travel documentary, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the most yeah. recent one is, is you, you've done a marathon in North Korea. Yeah, I went to, went to North Korea. Um, I wanted to visit the country, but uh, I thought if I'm going to do another, another marathon, then um, let's do somewhere different. And uh, yeah, went, went out there last year and got through. Is, yeah. is, part of, is part of this for you not just the the doing but the planning and the plotting and the and the, the making sure it can happen the task in itself is not just completing it but also surely setting up what's either difficult places to go to or difficult tasks yeah to complete. it does take a bit of planning yeah certainly certainly does and obviously you've got the training to you know set myself to to get under four hours so yeah that that needs a, a bit of training to, to, and by about 10 seconds i think yeah but i left i left my run late there it was, uh, <laughs> i almost had to sprint round we finished in this huge stadium their national stadium about 25 well they say 50,000 i think it was more like 25 to 30,000 people in there all with their clapper boards and um, I was sort of having a look at the clock. I, so it was literally a sprint round the last lap. I was, <laughs> was in bits. I love yeah. that I asked, did you do it? Of course you did it. Richard Dunwoody did just, do that. Just got in. Um, are you still in, in touch with some of the, 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 the people from the weighing room of old, the, the, the Scoos, yeah, not, the Harveys, not as many. The... I spoke to Scoo during the autumn, spoke to AP on Friday, and he was in good form, uh, full of all the gossip at Arsenal and, and stuff. So that was, that was good to have a chat with him. Hopefully we were sort of having, we'd have dinner once or twice a year, and um, hopefully we'll, we'll catch up in the you next... You're both, both Arsenal fans. Both Arsenal fans, yep. yep. That's it, that's it. Frankie is as well, I yeah. believe, so... Uh, you know, so um, yeah, things didn't go well the other night, but there we go. Talking, talking of AP, I, I mean, when you left the sport, he was on his way up. I mean, he'd, he'd won X amount of champion jockey titles by then, but he, he was, he it certainly didn't necessarily suggest he was going to go on and win 20, or did it to your mind? Um, then he was, I'm not saying he was head and shoulders, you know, had Dickie riding a lot of winners then, Dickie Johnson riding a lot of winners then anyway, but. Um, for the foreseeable, definitely early 2000s, for the foreseeable, AP was going to be champion jockey and to stretch it all the way. And, uh, and as long as he did, it's yeah, a testament to him. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. I hope you enjoyed our Luck on Sunday Best Bits podcast. Remember to subscribe or watch the show on Racing TV every Sunday from 9am.